prophecies of Jesus Christ that we find in the book of Psalms and how they were fulfilled. Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, Psalms 22 and verse 16. Uh, Brother Zach read a portion of it there. Um, basically, the, the, the verse we're going to talk about is says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This very accurate prophecy was foretold over a thousand years before Jesus, and it very accurately tells how he would die. You know, the word dogs is used in the, in the Bible a lot of times to describe uh, the enemies of God. And if you think about a pack of wild dogs, how and they're surrounding their prey and circling the prey and just waiting for that time they can attack and take its life. I think that's kind of a picture of what the prophet was talking about here, those wild dogs. Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. And we read in the New Testament about how before his death, Jesus was surrounded. He was surrounded by false accusers at his trial before the Jews as they cried out that he is worthy of death and they sentenced him to death. He was surrounded by those Jews before Pilate at the trial as they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And he sentenced him to death. He was surrounded by Roman guards as they beat him over and over and over again. He was surrounded by a crowd as he tried to carry that huge cross on his back up Calvary Hill. He was surrounded by mockers as they cried and spit on him. And they mocked him, saying, save yourself if you're the Christ. And finally, he was surrounded by them all as they drove those nails and those spikes into his hands and his feet. Those hands, those precious hands that reached out to touch people, to heal them. They always were trying to comfort people and heal them. They drove nails through them. And those precious feet that walked mile after weary mile, day after day after day, just to tell people the good news, to tell them about God and about salvation, to preach the joy of peace. They drove stakes through those feet. The very people he was trying to save. Dogs might be a generous description. Zechariah 12 and verse 10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. 
Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Here's another prophecy that accurately describes how Jesus would die. And the prophet here very plainly says that it was God himself who they would pierce. The prophet Isaiah says the same thing, adding that he will also be beaten with stripes. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And yet he didn't have to go through any of this. He did it because it was God's plan and Christ's choice for the covenant that God made with his people. The covenant. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. A covenant like this, this covenant is more than a promise. It's a blood oath. That's what a covenant like this is, a blood covenant. Genesis chapter 15, we read how God made his covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And God told Abraham to take these animals and divide them in half and set them one beside each other with a path in between them. And God caused this oven and a torch to walk between these animals. And and so in ancient times, people began to use this ritual to seal a covenant. And people, there would be two parties in the covenant And they would kill the animals like this and set them beside each other. And the two people of the covenant would hold hands and they would walk between these animals and say, if I break this covenant, let this happen to me. What was done to the animals. And before before our amazing scientists discovered that everything you need in your body for life is carried in the blood, long before that, people knew this because God said it. In the beginning, God said that life is in the blood. And so blood was used to symbolize the giving of life. God used blood in in sacrifices for sin. And people, uh, 
used it in ceremonies. People who were joined together would often cut their hands and then join them together, thus mingling their blood, meaning our lives are combined. We are one. And that was used in these ceremonies for a long time. You might have, you might have done that something similar when you were a kid, a blood brother. You know, you pierce your finger and hold them together and we're blood brothers, you know. More of a guy thing, I think. But the, uh, the idea was, um, it was very serious. This was the origin of the modern handshake, by the way. Uh, but in ancient times, this was very serious. And uh, sometimes uh, these cuts and scars on their hands were so severe that they wouldn't just go away. They would last a lifetime as a continual reminder of the covenant, of the agreement, of the bond. And uh, if you think about it, uh, what, what part of your body do you see the most? Watch your hands. They're always out there doing something usually, you know. You see them all the time. That's probably why they don't put marriage rings on your big toe. You know, whoever sees that, hardly ever, right? And so the hands were used to make markings right on something you want to remember, you know. And we read in Isaiah chapter 49 how God's people would start to doubt the covenant. They would start to think, you know, God has forgotten us. He doesn't remember us. And in Isaiah 49 and verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And what is God's reply? Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget. Why? Why will God not forget? The very next verse tells us why. It says, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God said, I'm not going to forget you. And let me tell you why. I will never forget you. Because all I have to do is look at these hands. Just look at these hands. I'm not going to forget. In verse 8 of Isaiah 49, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people. God gave his Son as a covenant to the people. To us. He so loved us that he did something to always keep us in his memory, always. And he he had scriven, he graved on his hands you. He graved you on those hands. The suffering of Christ was such that he could never forget. 
He remembers you always. Don't forget him. Don't forget him as you go about your day-to-day life. As you get busy in this world, don't forget God. Because what he did to remember you was great. In John chapter 20, after Jesus rose from the dead, he began to be a peer to the disciples. And you might remember how Thomas didn't believe. Thomas didn't believe, and he said he wasn't going to believe until he saw something. You remember what Thomas had to see before he would believe. John 20 and verse 25. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wanted to see the scars hands. Oh, doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Why couldn't he just believe? You know, I, I think maybe we're too hard on poor Thomas sometimes because if you go back just a couple verses, all the other disciples had already seen the hands. They'd already seen it. You know, In John chapter 20, then the same day in the evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, for all we know, the disciples might not have believed either. The rest of them might have had to see the hands to believe. You know, verse 24 says that Thomas wasn't with them at this time. Verse 26 then says that eight days afterward, they're all in this room together, all the disciples, and the door was shut. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the middle of them, Jesus just appeared. And immediately Jesus turns and looks straight at Thomas. And he holds out his hands. Verse 27. It says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. For there in the palms of Jesus' hands, as plain as can be, were the nail scars, where the nail went through. The mark, the mark that God made to eternally remind him of his covenant with us. The sign of the covenant. And Thomas immediately fell down and worshipped him, saying, My Lord and my God. I wonder, I wonder if when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus for the first time, I wonder if he'll hold out his hands. I wonder if he'll show us the scars. John 20 
and verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. None of us has seen Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus said, if you believe anyway, then he will bless you. Do you believe? Do you believe anyway? That's what he wants. So, a question I had when I was studying this was, do we have a mark in us of the covenant? Has Jesus put a mark in us of this covenant like he has? You know, in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. And the sign that that God, that God told Abraham in, uh, John, in Genesis 17.10, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So have you been circumcised? I have. Have you? Well, as Paul describes it, in Colossians 2 and verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When you, not seeing Jesus in the flesh, but believing in faith, were buried with him in baptism, your hands were joined together. And his blood was mixed with yours. You see, marking the covenant and joining your life with his. But life is in the blood. And this is the good news. This is the good news that Jesus wanted his disciples to preach. If you obeyed the gospel in this way, then you bear the mark of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise God for his indescribable, indescribable gift. Now, as Jesus hung there on the cross for our sins, According to John, who was standing right there in front of him at the time, according to John, he said the last thing that Jesus said was, it is finished. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and died. Now, the Greek word that Jesus said was tetelestia. Tetelestia. 
And during all the time of the New Testament, uh, this word was always put at the top of receipts or bills when they were paid. And it meant literally paid in full. Paid in full. That's what they wrote, this word that Jesus said. So as he's hung there, right before he died, the last thing he said was, in effect, paid in full. Surely, he knew his disciples would get the meaning that this word was used. The terms of the covenant that Jeremiah wrote about. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more because Jesus paid it in full. Not partially paid. Not some of your sins paid for. But paid in full. Those scars the scars that the Lord wrote on himself because no one took his life from him. He, he laid it down. Those scars that he wrote serve as a continual reminder of the price that he paid of you and the covenant that he has. The bill that I couldn't pay the sins that you couldn't pay for, he paid for in full. Never doubt this. Never doubt that your sins are paid for. Always believe. He paid for them all. Your sins are all paid for in full. Don't be like the Jews and start to doubt the covenant. Doubt that he remembers you, that he remembers that he paid for you. We have something that they didn't have. We have the eyewitness account of those who saw the scars, that saw the prophecies fulfilled. John said he wrote these things down so that we would believe and believing we would have life in his name. So live your life in his name. Trust Jesus and have confidence in the fact that he paid for our sins, not partially, but paid in full. This is all I have this morning. I hope it's been encouraging to you. I hope it gives you confidence and joy as you live for Jesus who paid for your sins every day. If you would like the prayers of the church, if you have a spiritual need this morning, please come forward now and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.